We started last week with that very verse, John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. I hope that's the prayer of your heart this morning. I hope that will be the posture of your mind as we continue in this series this morning. So if you have a Bible and, or a phone, whatever you use, would you find 2 Timothy chapter 2? We are in the second part of this series called Kingdom Impact. And I know I went over this last week, but this series is, is more about our collective burden as a body. The previous series that we went through called Build and Defend, where we looked at the story and the life of Nehemiah, was more about our individual burdens, the things that God has laid on your heart. And I have been so encouraged, by the way, of so many conversations that I've had with so many of you about the burden that God has put on your heart and what you feel he is leading you to do and be involved in. And so I want to encourage you to continue to develop that each and every day. But this series, Kingdom Impact, is more about our collective call, the mandates that we have as the body of Christ, the things that we do as the church. That's what this series is all about. And last week we kicked off with a reminder that Jesus and the early church, the one we see in the book of Acts and Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, this early church, the one we see in the New Testament, they had a deep concern and a deep care for people who were far from God, for people who were once as they were. It was clearly a focus of Jesus, the gospel, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And if we truly want to be the kind of church that, that Christ would want us to be, we find the answers to how he wants us to look in his word, but it will involve a deep passion for people who don't know or follow the Savior. We looked specifically at Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapters 15, and we were challenged with a very simple process, something that we see in the person of Jesus. Build, share, and bring. People are, are insanely valuable to our Creator. And we see Jesus, that He is very proactive in building relationships with the people who were around him. He went looking for people to, to know and to spend time with. And so we encouraged you to build a relationship with someone who is far from God. And then we talked about sharing. And it's not just building this relational connection with someone else, but it's about sharing aspects of our faith or sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the most important news that anyone could ever hear, but that we build relationships with the intention that there is an agenda attached to the relationship, that we are intentionally building and starting this relationship because we have a message that we must share. So we share the gospel. We share aspects of our faith. We talk about what Jesus is doing in and through us, how he is using us in the world around us. And then we talked about this process of bring. We bring people to the Savior, or we bring someone to church. And we saw that the disciples and the people of the early church did that very thing. When it comes to influence outside of their walls, they were on a mission 
to reach people in their lives and in their communities who didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the same goes for you and I today. We want to see Jesus because he's the only one who could do this, but we want to see Jesus change our community. We want to see him change our families. We want to see him change our area. We want to truly see him change the world, but he does that one person at a time. We saw last week that we share Christ by proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. That there's nothing better to talk about than the life-changing power of the gospel in our lives. And we asked a few simple questions last week. That how much value do we place on people who are far from God? And does the way we see them, the way we see people who yet who have yet to start that relationship with Jesus, does the way we see them imitate the way that Jesus actually sees them? And so today we're going to move on to the second part of this series, that that after we call on Jesus to save us, and I believe the majority of of you in the room have made that decision. You You have repented of your sin. You have called on Jesus to save you. He has given you new life, and you are actively involved in this relationship with the Savior. I believe that represents most of us. But when we are saved, we, we should then grow in our relationship with him, always becoming more deeply devoted followers. And so that's going to be our, our main focus over the next two weeks specifically. So if you have your place there in 2 Timothy 2, we're going to read these verses together. We're not going to talk a ton about these verses this morning, but it's going to set the table for next week where we're going to spend a little more time here. But I wanted to go here first because this is, it just sets the, it just sets the stage for where we're going to go. So the apostle Paul, he is writing to young Timothy in verse one of 2 Timothy 2. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3, share in the suffering, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So when we invest our our time, when we invest our talents and our treasures, all the things to gospel efforts, our contribution in those efforts will always be worth it. We do all that we do so people will hear the gospel message and hear God's word proclaimed. We do all that we do. We we pursue holiness. We abide in Jesus because he and he alone are, it's him that we want to see glorified and magnified. There is, when we talk about investing though, there's a definite return on this investment. There's, there's really no risks long-term when it comes to this investment of 
gospel proclamation or sharing in the lives of those who are far from God and then living for Jesus while on this earth. There is always going to be a return on that investment. It's the best money spent. It's the best time spent. You see, when we talk about gospel work, there is often, though, a missing piece that we don't always give enough airtime, and that's to this process of training and calling. I shared this last week. One of our core values here is train. And these values, they're hanging on posters in, uh, around our building. I mentioned them in my sermon. They were on the screen. We printed them out so you could have a copy of them. They were in your bulletin last week. Uh, these, these core values, these seven core values that we talked about, they're driven into almost every single aspect of everything that we share from the main stage as a church. And we want to be a church that is very active in training people to do the work of the ministry. Train. We imitate Christ by equipping others to be the disciples, to be disciples. And this goes right along with our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Not into a a relationship of, of imitating our favorite writer or author or theologian or pastor. That's not the goal. That's not our focus. And it really, it's about this process that that has really been the backdrop of this entire year, this process of abiding in Him, living connected to the vine because He is the source of life. He is the main thing. He is the most important thing, Jesus. And it's about what Jesus has called us to do and what He's called you to do and ultimately what He has called all of us to do. It's not just our opinions. It's what Jesus says. And that's what it really, that's what it all really comes down to. Directing our minds and directing our hearts in the direction of Jesus and then living the way that he has called us to live. None of these core values that I mentioned, the one that's on the screen right now, none of these things are important simply because we came up with a description for them. They are important because we believe they are biblical and because it's a plan that has Jesus at the center and it's his plan for the church that we want to be a part of. It's what I desperately want to be a part of. But before we start, I want to get us on the same page to avoid any confusion. That if we want to have a measured win or return on this investment— for developing disciples, we have to be working, I believe, from at least somewhat of a definition that is similar. We talked about last, that last week, that we often use the same vocabulary, but we often use very different dictionaries when we define things. And so the definition that I have for this process of being a disciple is, is simple. But what if I asked you that question? What is a disciple? If I walked up to you in the hallway or at Walmart or at your job and I said, hey, what is a disciple? How would you answer that question? What would you say? Maybe you'd say that a a disciple is someone who has been through a a 17-week course. Maybe it's someone who who goes to uh, Sunday school. Or maybe it's someone who is involved 
in a Bible study. You know, you, we, we, we tend to get in that frame of mind from time to time that I just want to be in Bible studies. And so maybe that's what it is. You just want to sit around seven days a week and just study the Bible. Or maybe you would define it as it's just being a Christian. Or maybe it's something a little deeper depending on how you grew up. Maybe it's going through confirmation. Or the catechisms, whatever. Uh, how would you define that? And if you ever get bored, just Google the phrase, what is a disciple? There are millions of search results that will come up, and I mean millions of definitions for what is a disciple. I would encourage you to do that. It's actually quite entertaining, and some of them are really good. But Jesus tells us that his followers are to be disciples. So what is a disciple? Well, the Greek word that we find throughout our New Testaments, it communicates the idea that, that we are a student of one, that, that people are students of one. They follow instructions. Specifically in the Bible, it's someone who follows the instructions of God. This word also communicates not just identity, but it, it, it it, it, action is involved. I'll say it that way. It's something that we are, but it's also something that we do. But you can be a disciple of anyone. Just think about that. We've seen this in our lifetimes. People have been disciples of so many different characters and personalities. There are disciples of, of Buddha, there are disciples of Joseph Smith. Uh, some of the more weirder ones would be like David Koresh and Jim Jones. I can't get people to come to church. That dude got 900 people to drink Kool-Aid. How? I don't understand. But for us, it's an active choice that we make to follow and to be a student of one. And that one is Jesus. And it's so it's through the lens of the New Testament and that, that direct connection to that Greek word that I simply define disciple to mean someone who is fully devoted to Christ. A fully devoted follower of Jesus. You see, Jesus called the disciples to come and follow. It's where we get that phrase, Christ followers, because we're not just following some systematic. We're following a person. We're following the, the Savior of the universe. We're following the triune God. And we believe this devotion and this process of becoming a disciple or a follower is important. We also believe this is done together. That every Christian needs loving biblical accountability. This is what is beautiful about small groups or Bible studies or classes. And if you've ever had any kind of authentic friendship or relationship, then that's something you know we were created to experience. We were made to be together. We are better together. And this is clearly what we see in the New Testament church. I dare you to read Acts. They were a tight-knit family. And when you read the early church and you read about early church life, it's inspiring. These believers, they met regularly in homes. They, they met at the temple. They experienced an intimacy together that is, that is often lacking in churches today. 
You see this in Acts 2 and in Ephesians 4. I mean, they were a close-knit dynamic, and they were very excited about their faith. And in the New Testament, over and over again, we see this concept of devotion coming up in the early disciples. They were fully devoted to God. They were devoted to Him through the study of the Word, through proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and through faith-centered prayer. And they were fully devoted to each other through eating together, taking communion, meeting each other's needs, and proclaiming the good news. And that's the goal. For the Christian to understand this call to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Now, the call and plan is clearly laid out for us by Jesus in the New Testament, and he knows what's best. And there's there's nothing better than his plan. And so I'm not going to encourage you, you don't have to turn there, maybe write this down, you maybe have this memorized, it'll be on the screen, but in verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus says to the disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus, who we are called to to imitate, we abide in him. We live connected to him because he is the true source of life. He is the vine. He has all authority. There's someone that's, that's over you. There's someone who's over me. Now, we don't like that so often. We don't like anyone really having authority over us or telling us what to do. But it's, but it's Jesus who has all authority. Jesus sets the meeting agenda. Like, Jesus is the boss. He's in charge. He has all authority. He gives the orders. He writes the job descriptions. He signs the checks. He's in charge. And his way is best. And we can trust that his best is for our good. But it's more importantly for his honor and for his glory. And don't forget, God is the one who gave him authority over us. In John chapter 3, it says the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the writer declares that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1 verse 17 reminds us that he is before all things and in him he is holding all things together. He's clearly in charge and he's clearly someone to follow. So what he says about training, what he says about discipleship, what he says about how the church is supposed to look and function is extremely important. He has authority. But what is he telling us to do? Well, verse 19 continues. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we preach, we proclaim, we declare the gospel, we baptize and we train, we make disciples. This isn't necessarily a call to go to the African bush and be a missionary. It's not simply just a call for you to attend church. But if you're wondering where and how this can be accomplished, you you don't have to look very far. You can come to church 
and grow and learn how to be a fully devoted disciple. This process of discipleship, it can happen right here where you are with your friends. It can happen with your, happen with your coworkers, with your church family. I think life on life, one-on-one is the best way. But it's not the only way. Jesus did it with individuals. Jesus did it with small groups, and he taught very large groups of people as well. And for many, one of the ways to make a kingdom impact could be simply with your own family. This is intentional work that, that, you, that could be done in your own home. That every Christian parent has this privilege and this duty. Deuteronomy 6 tells us to do it. Several portions of the New Testament tell us to do it. But it's a very practical way. And if you need some ideas, the, the God times that we give out every Sunday following the service with your kids, they're really good. We also have a really great resource out here at our family resources display in the main hallway. It's called Cornerstones. 200 questions and answers to learn truth. We have used the, the parent guide as a devotional with our kids. It's wonderful. That's why that whole resource counter is out there to help you have discipleship kinds of conversations with your kids and with your family. The most effective way we see this happen here at our church is through the context of our small groups, but it's certainly not the only way. Discipleship takes time. It's it's not a 16-week course on the fundamentals of the faith. All of those things are important, and we should know those things. It's part of it. But Eugene Peterson said it's a long obedience in the same direction, this pursuit of the Savior. It's not just another class you attend. It's not a booklet program you walk through, but it for sure requires time in the Word and godly relationships. Being trained and being involved in the process of training someone else, it takes time. But that's okay. You won't learn it all in one day. You won't achieve discipleship status in a month. It's a journey of learning and growing as we follow the teachings and the example of Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing process. And I think so often as Christians, we, we come to this level of we feel like we have nothing else to learn. Or that we're getting all of the aspects of our faith right. That every theological definition we have a, a grasp on. But we never really get there. Which is kind of discouraging because I like to finish tasks. But this process of being a disciple is ongoing. It doesn't stop. It doesn't end with the completion of anything until you take your final breath and you look into the face of the Savior. It's a journey. And the best plan for all of these things is simple obedience. What did Jesus tell us to observe and command us to do? Have you ever wondered what those things are? I mean, if you read Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, he says, you know, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What? What is that list? What does that look like? Because I want a list. I need a list of things that, that I can do. So I spent some time reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I just started underlining some of the simple things that, that we see Jesus teaching and, and telling us to observe and even commanding us to do. Things like repenting. We are to repent. We're to follow. We are to rejoice. 
We are to let our light shine in the darkness. We're to honor the law of God. We're to be reconciled. We're told not to lust. We're told to to keep our word, to be people of our our word. We're told to go the second mile, which which is really hard to do. We're told to love our enemies, pursue holiness, to take spiritual disciplines and practice them daily in our lives. We're told to lay up treasures that are not temporal but eternal, treasures that are in heaven. We're told to seek his kingdom and to make much of his name. We're told not to judge. We're told to to ask and seek and knock. We're told to do to others as we would want others to do to us. We're told to choose the narrow road, to beware of false teaching and false prophets, to pray for laborers, to go into the field and do the work, to be wise as serpents, to fear not, to listen for God's voice, to honor our parents, to deny ourselves, to watch out for greed, to honor our marriages, to be a servant, to pray, to help the poor, pay taxes, love the Lord, love our neighbors, and make disciples. That's a pretty long list. And those are just some of the things that Jesus wants to see in us. So if you feel like you've arrived, I'll share this list with you. And I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm just trying to tell you, you have not arrived. We have not arrived. We have a lot of growth. So we see this example of what Jesus is telling us to do in Matthew 28. We see it in Acts chapter 16 when Paul takes young Timothy and he trains him as a disciple. He did a similar thing with Titus and John Mark and several others. We can see through the example of the apostles and the disciples, they didn't believe they had arrived either. They made mistakes. They owned those mistakes in humility. They they focused people to imitate the Savior. And that's what we should do. And so on top of reaching people who are far from God... This process of disciple-making, of training, is another core purpose of the church. Trained. We imitate Christ by equipping others to be disciples, to be fully devoted followers. Ephesians 4 lays this out for us. It says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Who are we to grow up into? Into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together, were held together by Christ. Colossians 1, he holds all things together. So joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we work together in proclaiming the gospel to people who are far from God, and when we work together to train and equip others to be imitators of the Savior, we'll see growth. We'll see growth in our church, but we'll see, more importantly, growth in ourselves because we look more and more like the Savior. You see, one of the main jobs of the church is to help you put the Word on display in your life. 
This is about being doers of the word and not just hearers. That's exactly what is said in James chapter 1 verse 20. To be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If you're just a hearer, you're deceiving yourself. Because you're not fulfilling what we've been called to do. We're not called just to be hearers. We're called to be hearers and doers of the word. So just giving out information, that's not my goal on a Sunday. I don't think that's the goal of, of any class that we have. It's not the goal of our children's ministry or our student ministry. It's not the goal of any of our small group leaders is to just give out information. My hope as a pastor, as a communicator, is to give you and to give everyone life application so you can be a doer of his word. Sometimes I'm successful in that and other times I'm not. But just coming to church and checking that box on your to-do list is not the goal either. And we pray, I pray that our church will be a church that looks different, that we would be a, a people who are doing the work that Jesus has called us to do, being doers, sharing the gospel, and helping others grow in Christ. So don't get caught up in all the other stuff. We talked about that last week. Jesus said in John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He says earlier in John 8, as he's speaking to the Jews who had believed in him, which was a big deal, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you are truly my disciples, there will be evidence if you want to know if you're a disciple today, it's really simple. Are you abiding in him and his word? And are you applying it to your life? Are you communicating that truth to anyone else? And so the question this morning is simple. Are you a disciple? I think you should write that question down. Are you a disciple? Am I a disciple? Don't let it just be words that you hear on a Sunday morning and they fly over and you don't think about them again. But let that question get down deep into your heart and answer the question. Write your answer next to it. Am I a disciple? Am I a fully devoted follower of Jesus? So what do we do? We train. Just like we train for any job. The same process could be applied to this, this process of being a disciple. We're all trained when we get it, or hopefully when you get a new job, you're trained, especially if you're flying airplanes and stuff. <laughs> but we're all trained in order to do the things that we do really well. We don't have to be trained, but it certainly goes better when we are. You think of athletics. Coaches train players. We see the athletes, right? I mean, this athlete's awesome, but we don't tend to always notice that there's somebody behind the scenes who they're actually learning from that's growing them and shaping them. And I think of so many people in my life, my, my training came more from the face-to-face, one-on-one conversations with people who were just actively following the Savior. Think of my youth pastor, Matt, or some of my really good friends in the ministry. A lot of the training that I've received has come 
from and through those guys who have been modeling the Savior. So look and listen at 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 again. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me. As he, Paul, imitates Christ, that puts on display for Timothy what he should aspire to be. So are you a disciple? To train for God's work, we're going to more than likely have to make a sacrifice in one area or another. And and most of us have, some of us have lots of extra time, some of us don't. But you will have to develop some disciplines if you want to be a true disciple. And maybe you have to spend a little less time on other stuff or your phone or social media hobby. I don't, I don't know how much, but it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to evaluate the ratio of time spent on eternal things and versus earthly things. And by the way, not all earthly things are bad. It's not just for young people or the next generation. I know just as many in the older generation who don't always use their time wisely. This is for everyone. It's for the young and the old. There's no age requirements to be a disciple or to make a disciple. So we train. We imitate Christ by equipping others to be disciples. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But the issue for most Christians is we... We sometimes struggle just to put all the pieces together on how all of this works. And maybe you are in that camp where you think that being a disciple means that you have to be a missionary or you have to be a pastor. And that's not always and is usually not the case, although for some of you it may be. Maybe for you it's just a lack of willingness to be trained or to work and serve as a disciple. Because it takes work, it will stretch you. It's the narrow road that is less traveled. And I'm not going to even get into the discussion this morning of can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? I think we're surrounded by people who know Jesus and are miserable because they're not following what he's called us to do. But what would happen in this church if we took the challenge to be a disciple seriously. And not only being a disciple, not only just hearing the word, but doing the word, making disciples. What if we took that challenge seriously? Because every person has a call to reach people who are far from God with the life-saving truth of the gospel. And if you lead someone to Christ, it could be your honor and your privilege to give them next steps. To continue that conversation. Just like I said with every parent, it has been my honor and my privilege to teach my children how to pray. To teach my children how to give and and, and be generous with the little bit of money that they make each and every week. My little kids, my little nine-year-old, she tithes already. It's like 10 cents. But we're teaching her what it looks like to imitate the things that Jesus has told us to imitate. You see, every Christian should be a a disciple because we imitate Christ when we're disciples. 
So are you a disciple, and are you making disciples? I hope that you are. I hope that this has been a challenge, and we're going to continue this conversation next week in part three of Kingdom Impact. I want to encourage you this morning as the ushers make their way to the doors to take our offering on the way out. Don't forget to grab a bulletin each and every Sunday. I know I say that every week, but we really want you to have a copy of that. Not for events that are coming up, although those things are important, but inside of that is our prayer list. And we really believe that prayer is a vital part of this discipleship process. And we're surrounded by people who have needs. And so we want to encourage you to be praying for those on the prayer list, specifically be praying for Daniela and Matt Brenner. Uh, Daniela's mom went home to be with Jesus yesterday. And so be praying for Daniela and her family she did make it down there before she passed. And so be praying for that family. They're in the midst of trying to move and do all of the things. And so it's just, it's just unfortunate timing. And so be praying for, praying for the services that they'll have, for the gospel to be front and center. She knew Jesus. Also, for those of you who would like to be at Jake Ritchie's services, they'll be on Wednesday at 1130 here at the church. And so um, if you're able to be there, it'll be here, 1130. And so be praying for those around us, be praying for those in our community who don't know the Savior, and be praying for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time together this morning. We're thankful for your word, that it is unchanging and that it is good enough for us. And that when we have questions and we have concerns or we're not sure what it is that we need to be doing in this life, Lord, you have all the answers for us. So God, as we've had this conversation this morning about being deeply or completely, fully devoted to you, God, I pray that we would be people of your word, that we would be imitators of our Savior, that we would abide in him, that we would live connected, that we would remain connected to him. So Lord, do your work through us as only you can, and you receive all the honor and all the glory for it. We're so thankful for who you are and what you've done in us and through us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. You can give on your way out or online, and we'll see you next Sunday.